Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. So I was hanging out one night with my good pal AF Domains and streaming some games to Discord and just, you know, having a good old time, playing through a bunch of stuff that I had kind of in my backlog. And I was like, what should I play next? And he's like, oh, how about another Doom mod? And I was like, nah, I'm kind of doomed out, bro. I just beat Doom 64. And then I was like, oh, you know what? I'll play a Maximum Action. I got a copy of that that I should uh, definitely play so that I can say I've played all of New Blood's titles. And I beat that pretty quickly because it's a fairly short experience uh, as it currently stands. And as I do, I was right back to looking for another Doom mod to play. And uh, one that kind of caught my eye was Shrine. And I'd, I'd seen Shrine probably on Mr. Icarus's YouTube channel. And then I'd seen Shrine 2 was, you know, just getting released. And I was like, this looks dope. I'll, I'll check that out. And yeah, within like a couple of levels, I was already looking desperately. Like, Who is this guy? Who is this guy? And I found Scumhead on Twitter, messaged him. It's like four in the morning and get a response like almost immediately. And he's like, yeah, I'd love to do this podcast of yours, whatever that is. And like, all right, sounds good, man. What time frame works for you? And he's like, well, I live in Arizona, so it's this time here. And I was like, fuck, I'm in Arizona right now. Turns out he lives in Phoenix. I live in Tucson. We're maybe like an hour and a half away. And uh, yeah. So then I uh, was kind of on a time crunch because I'm like, oh, I just told him I'd do it. I better play all of his shit. So I played through Shrine, played through Shrine 2. Then I played uh, some of his RPG Maker games. And I was just, fuck, yeah, this guy's awesome. I knew it right from the get-go in Shrine. And here we are. I hope you enjoy this uh, conversation between the two of us. It's really fun. We talk about all kinds of things from... You know, just the artwork that he likes and is inspired by and how he got into gaming and just our views on, you know, how you kind of fall into this retro shooter world. And I really loved his sense of humor and just who he is as a person, man. This guy's part of our tribe for sure. Like, you could just tell by playing the game. It's this Shrine 2 is just a really, really cool Lovecraft inspired total conversion mod uh, for the GZ Doom engine, which means like, yeah, you can sell it on Steam and shit. And you could, you should go now and get it. Uh, Shrine 2 is just on ModDB at the moment, but like Shrine 1 and all of his other RPG Maker games are there. I think they're all free except for like one of them, which is maybe three bucks. And they're all totally worth it, man. Like this guy's going to blow up at some point he's going to publish a new game called vomitorium and probably sell it for a million dollars and we're all going to feel like jackasses for not getting this shit for free when we could but yeah uh i just really hope you enjoy the conversation i'm going to play some music now from the shrine 2 original soundtrack and then we'll get in the keep with scumhead
I'm Scumhead, and I make weird games and shit like that. And comics, games, generally they're kind of scary and gross and stuff like that. And I don't know. It's just what I do. I find it fun, and it's the only thing that makes me truly happy. So that's what I do. I make games and shit. I, uh, I find it really funny, like, when you meet someone versus, like, the image that they kind of make online is two totally different things. <laughs> You don't expect like a, really... a fat white guy <laughs> when I have this. You got to understand the way that I like initially kind of really caught wind of all your stuff was what I think you tweeted out some shit like, um, I'm scumhead night S. This is my game. <laughs> yes. I did say that. <laughs> and then, you know, there's all the, all the stuff on your website. It's just like, it makes you seem like you fuck your funk, like some dark fucked up person who like lives in a trash can. <laughs> you know, well, like, uh, kind of, <laughs> but <laughs> And uh, it's just really cool, man. I, I love your whole aesthetic, truly. Um, Thank you. Like, the obviously, if there was a Lovecraft-oriented Doom mod, I was going to find out about it, and it was going to be on this show. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's try to start from the beginning, though. You've, you're 20 years old, and you've got pro- more than five games published. Oh, gosh. Point. Yeah. Um, gosh, where would you like me to start on that? Because there's so much I could talk about. Well, but I'm 19 it. actually. My birthday is in Halloween, and I turned 20. Okay, but <laughs> that's even crazier. Even crazier. Thank you, man. But it's just amazing to me. Like you get a lot of different people who approach this completely differently. Like I want to be a game dev. All right. It, it actually makes me want to like go jump off a bridge when I see how <laughs> productive you are. Like if I had published. I, I talked to Osric like the other day, right? He was making Viscera Fest. He's been working on this game for eight years, and that's cool. I, I totally dig that vibe. But like, when you're talking about a resume, right? Like, you want to get hired somewhere, or if you just want to have like a bunch of shit under your belt, yeah. You're rocking and rolling here with already a pretty solid resume. Like, you just like, oh, dude, look what I did. I've made all this shit already. <laughs> Hire me. Like, and I'm I'm fucking 25, and I haven't done shit with my life, like, at all. Oh, I don't know if that's true. You got your whole podcast here, and I see you talking to Dusk Dev and, and Dylan Rogers or whatever his name is. Glue Mode Guy. I think that's freaking awesome. The way I look at it is, like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm doing good shit, but it just, like, it came to me. I didn't even own a, my own computer, like, for gaming until I was 20, 20, 21. Sometime in the last few years. It was later on in life. You're yeah. already fucking coding. You're making shit in RPG Maker. You're, you're getting <laughs> shit done, dude. It's very impressive. Thank and you. And not only that, but most of it's pretty good, except for the... <laughs> we'll talk about Soulscape. <laughs> we could talk about a lot of all that shit, man. Jesus. Um, what was your like initial kind of break into this? What made you decide to, like, fuck, I'll, I'll, fuck it, I'll just make video games. <laughs> Oh, God. It's a bit of a story, but I'll get into it. Um, so I was 15, and I was in high school. And my my dream in high school after I got just, I'm going to go on an epic adventure. I'm going to hitchhike across America. Um, but then I played Undertale when I was uh, 15 years old, and I was like, oh, this is sick. I want to make this game. Yeah. So I literally grabbed all the sounds and the sprites from Undertale and made something really shitty in RPG Maker. And I was like, this is really fun. So that summer, I decided, like, I want to do my own thing with my own sprites and all this shit. So I just, I made something. And then at first, no one played it because it was some shitty, awful 
RPG game from Nowhereville, but that January I got an email from one person who played it and he loved it. And I was like, this is the most amazing feeling I've ever gotten my whole life. So I was like, I want to keep doing this. Yeah. And as time on, I didn't want to travel. I found out I despise traveling and uh, I wanted to dedicate myself fully to making games because I've always loved games since I was like five when I first played Ocarina of Time. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. So I just, I just kept going. And I also got so lucky that I was exposed to technology and my parents have been so awesome to me. And they've just been like, Hey, here's a PC. You, you do it. Just go. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And yeah, that's awesome, dude. It's a really important thing. Like you, you got supportive people behind you that are like willing to fund this hobby. Cause you know, I, you're like a Absolutely. little, little bit after like, I grew up in Alabama, so I consider my generation whatever ten years prior would have been. Like, not I'm not quite. I, I guess I'm a millennial or whatever, but I feel like I'm older than that because we grew up in a, a little bit less technological time. And mm. I don't know, like, so I, I kind of was in that era where like my my parents were. If I had to, like, I'm going to be a video game developer. Granted, they went through this when I was like, I'm going to be a professional wrestler, but <laughs> they uh. I don't know that that was just not really important in our household and definitely games were like me and my dad played fucking playstation shit all the time but like technology technological prowess was not a thing that we really like dug into no one in my house knew how to fucking you know install a graphics card or any of this shit and mm. yeah it's cool dude that your parents were like yeah fucking go for it here's a computer yeah, <laughs> yeah like i just it doesn't cross my mind because I can still be an, an asshole teenager and be like, oh, my parents are getting on my style, bro. But then when I think about it, it's like I had a really good childhood and I have like some of the coolest parents in the world. And they're just like, yeah, they, they kind of don't want me to sit on my ass and make video games all the time. They want me to get a job. Ew, job, gross. But like, yeah, I don't know. They've just always been so awesome. So. I just got, I just got really fucking lucky, because if I didn't have that growing up, I probably would be like twenty five and suddenly be like, yeah, I guess I'll start making games now. So with, with trying to, like, because I've noticed you've been kind of giving all your shit away for free. I'm assuming like, with the idea of like, I just want people to play it, but I feel like you should charge money for this, and then that could be your job, uh, <laughs> at least a partial income, man, because it's so good. It's so good. About that. Um, yeah, it's, I, I put out most of my stuff for free mainly because, um, I, I want people to trust me. So when I make, cause my next project will be a paid game. It'll be like 10 bucks or something, but I, I want people to know like, Hey, this is what I can do. I can do even better with mm-hmm. like a good budget and shit like that. I, I just want to build a good trust foundation with my stuff like i said when if you can show up to the door like here's five six games that i've already successfully published completed maybe they're you know rough around the edges because they're indies but i can do that and if i had money it would be better like you're way ahead of the curve (laughs) thank you man thank you so i i guess we'll let's start from the beginning tell me about your mother no um (laughs) my mommy is great and she is I don't know. <laughs> you started off with this RPG maker stuff, or did, was there anything before that? 
Uh, I fucked around with a lot when I was 12. There was a, an app called Stencil that I made like a bunch of really shitty Flash mm-hmm. games with, but I, I wasn't that serious about it. I was just like, eh, computer epic. But not much beyond that. I was I got serious about it when I was like 16-ish. And... That's when I was doing RPG Maker. So that was like, uh, I want to make a game, and you found RPG Maker, and then like, all right, well, sky's the limit, and you already said Undertale, and I can definitely see the influence. Uh, <laughs> Undertale is one of the coolest damn games. Like that that whole like oh, Atari, Amiga, ZX Spectrum era of gaming is like perfect. It's just uh, it's no no need for anything more. Just do the little Louis C.K. chef butthole kiss. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that, that's just like a such a great era and to replicate that is fucking awesome and i mean there's a million ways to go with that like oh man this kind of looks like pokemon this kind of like blah, blah 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 but it's fucking a dude like really really cool shit and i'm i think a lot of people as soon as i show them your stuff or if they see it on their own they're immediately like is that all hand-drawn shit like so what was your art background that's amazing oh gosh uh, not traditional in the slightest. Like, if you asked me to draw anything realistic, I would fumble, mm. and it would look like, you know that Sasuke from Naruto? There's that horrible drawing of him where he looks like this weird fish. Mm-hmm. But, uh... Yeah, okay, so... I I was doing sprite work for a long time, and I only recently started getting better at it, but a lot of my traditional drawing was just... I've been doing it since I was, like, six. I've just been drawing with pen on shitty notebook paper for the longest time. And I think a lot of my art improved because I was... I read a lot of manga, so I, like, pick up on little details about how the different artists do things. So my style is, like, this weird fusion of, like, random manga artists and, like... Have you read Berserk or do you know of Berserk at all? I couldn't tell you, man. Well... Um, me out of the loop on the the manga. <laughs> I was like I, I mean, image comics, like a, that that kind of stuff was really big for me. Like saga mm. and uh, like sex criminals, uh, all that shit was really mm. important to me when I was your age. But you know, I I'm so old and out of the loop now with when it comes to comics <laughs> and manga stuff. But anyway, that's Berserk. right. I was just saying Berserk because a, a lot of my art inspiration trickles down from that because I'm such a huge fan of that stuff. So yes, yeah. it's such a unique art style. I think the best compliment I got the other day was uh, the, I think it was the end game page, of Shrine Two comes up. I'm streaming it, and then this guy's like, "It looks like it was drawn in fucking paint." <laughs> it, it is drawn in paint. I use Paint.net as my software. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> but it looks so cool. Everything is just Thank like you. the beautiful fucking sprite work artwork the whole fucking deal from top to bottom like from your first projects all the way up to now uh, and you can see like the steady improvement not only with like game design but also with the, just the aesthetic and the atmosphere building and everything it's it's a good repertoire when uh icarus kind of i don't want to say shit on but didn't give the most favorable favorable review to the first shrine uh I'm not saying we hold Icarus like as the standard or anything, but like he's he fucking knows his shit. And yeah. So you brought on a second developer or a, a coder for Shrine Two. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit? Yeah. About that? Yeah. So I was working on Shrine Two, and I was like, all right, I want it to be better than Shrine One, obviously. And then this random 17 year old kid named Mango hits me up, and he's like, "Hey, can I help?" And I was like, 
Sure. So we just started adding little bits, and then by the end of January, we got the demo released, and Mango was so good at everything he did. Like, anything that I wanted to make it happen in the game, Mango was like, got it, and he did it. And um, so the relationship kind of morphed into, okay, I'll do the visual level design stuff, sound design, planning everything, and then Mango makes it work and balances it and adds really cool random ideas and just makes it functional and good. So it's, I, I am so glad he randomly messaged me one day and joined joined up with me because yeah, we're a you damn good the, team. You found the Carmack to your Romero, maybe. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, see, he that is smart. So damn good. He, He's what's, he's doing what's right. He let you do all the initial footwork, and now he's like, "All right, well, I'm going to turn 18 soon, and you know who to hire when you get fucking <laughs> big game money." That's cool. If I if I get far enough and I can hire Mango, I am I am going to shower that kid in money. And that's how it is over here too, man. We got so many people like helping out with the podcast production and just like the general shit with the keep, and I'm like, "Yeah, if this if this turns into money, I have I owe a lot of people a lot of fucking." Dick. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna be coming after me to like chasing me down the street, like you fucker. Uh, <laughs> where's my money, boy? Where's where's my fucking vacation time? <laughs> like, let's get back to the the artwork stuff. It, you were just doodling, drawing, fan of the manga stuff. I'm assuming sketchbooks all around the place. Oh god, you have no idea. Mountains. <laughs> were, were you like always into art? Like, did you grow up just kind of? Yeah, um, my dad was an artist. Okay. I mean, he's still alive. <laughs> I don't want to say was. Like, oh, he's dead now. But um, he he did a lot of art in his college days. And as I was growing up, he showed me a lot of art. And I've always been interested in just visual things. Mm-hmm. Um, it Being exposed to games, I was like, whoa, this looks so cool. So I was just like, yeah, write that down, write that down. So, yeah, just having that influence from an early age just got me into drawing stuff because I just, I don't know, I always like to make stuff. Can you remember, like, an early influence of this piece of art or anything in particular that made you, like, kind of adapt your style? Or was it just, I can't draw realistic shit, so I'll draw this fucked up (laughs) surrealist stuff? Um... I th- I think I could. It's it's two different games. Do you know Off, the RPG Maker game? I'm not familiar with it. No. I can Google it. Well, it's got this really cool hand-drawn aesthetic um, that rubbed off on me a lot. And World of Warcraft, I used to play a lot of WoW when I was like 13-ish. Mm-hmm. And I just loved the look of that game so much that I was like, oh... Just very exaggerated, almost like grotesque looking yeah. stuff was just really good. And around when I was 13, 14, I started looking at uh, Bekshinsky paintings, which is like the, the overall influence of like my whole art is Zdzislaw Bekshinsky and his artwork and stuff like that. Those three, the three prongs are what um, is my main influence, I'd say. Yeah, this is amazing. I just looked this guy up. I kind of sad I haven't heard of this before now, but it's almost like a. I hate to compare art to other art, but like some Giger influence, but with like yeah. warmer tones, a, l- a little bit more like I don't know, like less dark and more mysterious 
Like, it looks like there's a light at the end of this tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has that weird... It's it's just... Bichinsky's artwork is just so strange to me because when I look at it, I don't see, like, something gross and horrible. I see something, like, very homely to me. Like, very... I don't know. I just want to live in a Bichinsky world. And yeah. That sort of arid, surreal hellscape stuff is fascinating to me. Something fun is like when you go talk to your therapist and they're like, well, we need to have a grounding mechanism, like something that calms you down. I'm like, well, do you want to listen to like Scandinavian satanic black metal like every time I get nervous? Or <laughs> like, it's weird how some people just find comfort in like yeah. weird atmospheres and stuff. I, like, I think, I think that's, that is so, it's such an underrated thing because there's the preconception that, Oh, the beautiful blue sky and wavy grass where I don't think I'm more comfortable than in like an apocalyptic storm. Like here in Arizona, we get a lot of dust storms. And when that shit rolls through, it's like, yes, I feel amazing. So I I just love really scary stuff. Scary stuff for me is my comfort zone, I guess is how I put it. Are you aware that my day job is a meteorology? Really? Yes. That's cool as hell, man. No, it's not. Oh. <laughs> and I, it's it's like interesting, but like anytime weather comes up, I just get like, I want to fucking jump and hide. In oh, the sorry. <laughs> it takes me back to my day job, but no. Um, th- that is crazy though. Like Arizona, I talked a lot about this with Mike J from Postal and how just mm. the, the scenery here is so fucking weird. The sunsets, because I moved here when I was, uh, it was probably about four years ago, and everything is just fucking bizarre looking. Like the whole place, it looks like yeah. something out of a, it looks like something out of one of your paintings here, except with like a, yeah. little, a little bit yeah. bluer sky during the day. But as the sun sets, it gets that like orange, brownish tone, the gold, whatever they call it here. And like here in Tucson, we have like all the saguaros and like super, like desolate looking scenery. People try to spruce it up with their rocks, but I'm yeah. not buying it, bro. It's a, a little bit more uh, <laughs> urban in, in Phoenix, but it is for sure. But still, though, like oh god, two two mornings ago, the sun was blood red when it was rising because of the uh, California mm-hmm. fires smoke coming down yeah. in the valley. It was the scariest shit I'd ever seen. I thought I was gonna. Get invaded by a demon or this something. This is what you wanted. You but just said you wanted to live in this fucked up world. I, it's a good kind of scary. It's like a, ooh, I'm excited. I hope the world's ending today. Oh, God, don't even get me started. <laughs> like, <laughs> just fucking end it now. <laughs> We're sick of this. Hit the reset nah, button, please. There's too many good games. This is the best thing about tragic times. So like, as much as I hate that, you know, bad things happen to people. On the other hand, that's when the best art comes out. Absolutely. Like uh, Arizona brings us Postal, and on the other end of the spectrum, Shrine 2. Like I'm I'm okay with the balance at this point. Coronavirus brings us uh, an era when fucking nerdy gamers can stay inside all day and make new games for us to play. This is a – it's a weird thing. Like I, I've really struggled with like the moral aspects of it's a tragic time. But this is the best time ever to be an independent content creator. It's just hard. Absolutely. It's hard to yeah. wrap my brain around all that shit. 
Yeah, I catch myself feeling that way. It's like, I'm really glad lockdown's happening so no one will bug me about staying inside all day and being this this, this big slug man just working away on my computer at this poopy little art project. Let's but, get you on a regimen, man. Let's go running at 3 p.m. <laughs> Gonna make me exercise? I'll, tra- I'll transfer <laughs> over to uh, to Phoenix and we'll... We'll go out every day, 3 p.m. when it's like 120 degrees outside. Oh, great. And we'll do like two, just, you know, a brisk two miles. It's all you need. You'll be drenched from head to toe. And then, because we got to ensure your longevity as an artist. Like, we can't have you fucking. Just <laughs> Look at George R. R. Martin. He's like 5 million pounds. And he's huge. And he's like 60. And he's like, ah, yes, I'm fat, but I'm still kicking. He's drinking wine, just getting <laughs> fucking hammered, doing God. <laughs> Just reading his art, God knows what his wife goes through, you know, like in the background there. Like, so, I like to imagine they're just like he's the sweetest man in the world yeah, and he just writes so, this horribly <laughs> fucked up. It's like David Szymanski. Like, he's like the most pristine person. He has a background in like classical, well, I shouldn't say classical, he'll get mad at me. Chamber music, you know, and just beautiful life you know family kids the whole deal and on the other end he makes like the most just fucked up games <laughs> it's oh it's like God. where does this come from dude what happened to you why are you so like have you, have you played his first game of finger bones oh gosh no is this the postal guy no this is or- the guy david Szymanski made dusk oh how could i can't believe i didn't Okay. I, I know Dave. I know Dave is Dave. <laughs> that's that's the story that we're going to stick to. That you know Dave Oshry. You don't have to know Dave Szymanski. <laughs> <laughs> there's two Daves. There's the there's the Chad Dave, and then there's the Dave who made dust. Yeah. Dave Oshry is. He's like, look at my million dollar house. Wow, that's cool. I wish I lived in New Zealand. <laughs> hey man, that's the. These are the people that are doing business, like for real. Uh, Oshri has done an excellent fucking job, obviously, of building his brand. And it's not just uh, New Blood, because he's also he, he's in New Zealand for Rocketworks. They're like apparently working on some top-secret AAA project down there in the other end of the Earth. In Middle Earth. You have to go to Middle Earth to make the best games, apparently. But it's the that's where the real aesthetic is, when you have Mordor dripping lava in the background. That's so he doesn't show you as the other department. Just this, just the eye of Sauron just beaming towards him all day. Finish the game, Dave. <laughs> Dusk two, the duskening. It will happen. Bring us the precious. <laughs> and uh, fuck, I mean, we get on a tangent so easily. <laughs> Sorry, that's fun. Anyway, like uh, his uh, Samansky's first game, Fingerbones, is spoiler incoming to anybody who doesn't want to spoil for them. It's about like this. Uh, this guy who's in a bomb shelter, like he's like revisiting a bomb shelter after he's like hidden there through some sort of apocalyptic events. Left really vague, and I mean it's a super janky early idea of like a first person horror game. But you just all you do is just pick up notes and read them, and you realize over time that this guy like seems to have uh, been locked there with his daughter, uh, who who he takes out like all of his aggression on. And then eventually, like, talks himself into, well, we're the last two people on Earth. So, without getting into fucking trigger warning shit, just, you can imagine where that would go. And 
<laughs> and on the other end of the spectrum, like just the nicest guy, so sweet. Sergeant, I think Sergeant Mark too, like brutal doom, nice guy. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's for a lot of artists. Um, most people, everyone has their weird way of expressing like that. That I wouldn't. It's not the bad part of yourself, but like the dark side of yourself. Yeah. And I, I think for a lot of artists, how they get that out is just like in their projects. Like mm-hmm. for me, like my projects are like I make these weird, bizarro eldritch worlds, but it's like that's that's where I want to be. I, I escape into my projects, I guess. Kind of a tangent. Not prob- prob- Dave's probably not wanting to escape into that one, but it's cool to express things that are hard to talk about through art. Because you don't really have to exp- – like you can express them without having to explain them, I think is like – Yeah. Weird. It's weird how storytelling has evolved over time because you know we have the – we have all the ep- you know the poetic eddas and like the the heroes epic stories you know the bible all of the stuff that kind of like it seemed like at one point in human nature it was natural to separate good and evil into two separate categories right so you have you know good in lord of the rings and then you have very clear evil in lord of the rings um at some point we started to evolve a little more like uh, george r r martin's an excellent example of like or, or let's go pro wrestling Stone Cold Steve Austin is a great example. He's supposed to be a bad guy, but people keep cheering him on. He punches his boss. He's, you know, an anti-hero. Deadpool, all, all of these things. And we have this, uh, the duality of men. I think the earliest kind of concept of that that I can think of is like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, where it's all about like how one person has two sides to them. You know, you have the the Jamie Lannister who you know fucks his sister and kills people and pushes little boys out of windows, and you have the Jamie Lannister who really wants to do good and you know really just has a warm heart and wants to be a better person but he feels trapped and i really i don't know man i I love that i love that it's so human that's so so much more realistic in human nature and so much more relatable sorry yeah i I get no 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 No, that that was great no that was good um yeah I, i think old stories were kind of used almost as a rule set for life and um, and I, I think the way in which people tell stories is a reflection of the times. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it would be a stretch to say that for the past how many years or so, people have been getting more and more miserable. And, and they, they like to see things that reflect real life, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, I would <laughs> Get the cogs turning in my own head here. Try I don't to even go out. so far as to say that the over time the stories will get manipulated to kind of, as you said, like be a rule set for life, right? So, um, fuck, we're gonna have to do it, right? So, I'll start with King Arthur and then we'll move on to Jesus, <laughs> right? So King Arthur, like the the Disney movies of King Arthur, and a lot of what we're kind of told about King Arthur, and I'm, I don't even know if he was a real guy. But we have this legend of like you know this righteous guy who fought the Saxons and then reclaimed the throne and then you know then you have all the magical shit and the Lady in the Lake and you know, you know, Monty Python and you get that image of King Arthur. But the real story uh, or the, the real quote people can't see me quoting, but 
the real story <laughs> was like you know raised in a brothel and was a ruffian on the streets and all this kind of shit and then like worked his way up to that and you don't get that part we also have that with uh some of the like gospels that were either omitted on purpose to mislead or were considered unimportant or bad sources i'm not making a judgment call on that i'm just saying that seems to be the the canon here that you know we leave out all of jesus's uh adolescent years and i'm imagining jesus was kind of a punk like in a good way <laughs> like, like i i'm a, like i'm pretty sure that some of the stories were like you know he would just push somebody off a cliff and bring him back to life because he could like <laughs> That's awesome. Imagine going through puberty as the son of God. Right? <laughs> oh my goodness. And, I wouldn't and, I don't even want to think about what I would do in that situation. Dear God. Yeah, like some, some girl like doesn't like she she embarrasses you and you're just like, Alright. That's cool. <laughs> I see how it is. How you like it when your cat dies. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, are you sad now? Snap, he's back. See, I'm the son of God. Now let's <laughs> Whoa, get in my Jesus, Cadillac. You're so cool. <laughs> Whoa, Jesus, you're so cool and hot. <laughs> but yeah, the 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 way that storytelling is, you know, uh, manipulated throughout time, or I don't want to say manipulated. I think it's just like a natural thing where you like you want to teach kids good lessons. You want people to like, especially if it's a hero's story, you want your hero to be pure. But no one is, and in your games. No hero is pure. They're all fucked up. <laughs> yes, everyone's a monster and everyone's killing each other. So Epic. how how do uh, two teenagers find themselves making uh, stuff in the Doom engine? That is wild. That is the first question. I was oh, like, hey, anybody gosh. got any questions for this guy? They're like, yeah, why the fuck is he doing this? I think it's cool. I love it. <laughs> um, well, I- I'm not... I'm not sure about how Mango started. We never really got into that. Um, strictly business. <laughs> yeah, strictly business. We do not talk about such things. I got bored of RPG Maker. I, I I stagnated really bad, and I like I feel like I've done everything I wanted to do with this. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I've always wanted to make an FPS game because I really love the old school FPS genre. It's it's such a pure form of like video game. And I was like. I want a piece of that. So I just started learning the Doom engine. Uh, thank God for Chubsy Doomer, or whatever his name is. He's got tutorials from 2009 that are still work. So I'm very glad I had that resource. But I don't know. I just I just went into it. I just decided to do it, like, randomly in September of 2019 because I was just so bored of RPG Maker. And thankfully, it's really easy to use. So... You said September of 2019. I want to point out two games published, and it's 2020 in July or August. Is it August? Fuck, it's August. Either way, that's insane. So you learned you Thank learned you. a new engine pretty quickly. Wait, to be fair, like though, uh, it's, it's so weird because there's so many resources with Doom, especially GZ Doom. Um, you can reach out to a lot of people and get a lot of answers, but there's no like, here is the here is the book on how to do it. it. Yeah, you have to go through a lot of hunting yeah. for tutorials to figure out stuff. But I, I managed to do it somehow. Lots of questions. I got in contact with a lot of people in the community who helped me out. So, yeah. yeah. 
something that a lot of people use as a criticism that I actually think is really dope and works for me because I like to just bang out levels and move through it was the, you know, like, oh, Shrine's kind of short. And I don't know, some people even said easy. I don't know. I died a lot, but I suck at games. So there's that. But uh, was this just was this a result of you kind of just having a very rudimentary understanding of the Doom engine, or did you intend to have like a short lived experience? Well, I, I was learning as I was going along. So I, I didn't do too much practice before starting to work on Shrine 1. I was just like, I just want to make something. So, and I, I haven't had, like, I some people have been playing Doom for 20 years. And I beat Doom and Doom 2 for, like, the first time, like, a week and a half before I started working in the engine. So, wow. I, I, yeah, <laughs> might have been an error, but it's worked out. So I, I think the difficulty and how I designed that first game was a reflection on my lack of understanding and lack of skill in the engine in general. So, so you, did, you didn't even have, like, a background of, like, these are all the amazing Doom mods out there, really. Oh, God, no. I think the only Doom mod I had played at that point was, like, Brutal Doom back in like 2015-ish. Oh, and the the Castlevania one that Batandi made. That's yeah, that's fucking wild, dude. I feel I feel like any criticisms can't even be held against you at that point. Like, ah, that's there's I, I am really chill with most criticism because people who play my stuff 99% of the time have no idea who I am. So like mm-hmm. I want if there's something wrong with it, I want to know what's wrong with it so I can fix it or I can take that information into the next project. So I think yeah. it's all fair. It's a, 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 totally. I mean, you have to be open to criticism. I'm just saying, like, it's hard to hold any real criticism against you with that background. So, like, I don't know. Either either way, uh, you came out on the upper end. If you're making something your very first time having played Doom and Doom 2, you know, just prior to that with very limited mod skill or prowess or knowledge or whatever, you banged out this game that by all anyone's standard is like very at the very least extremely impressive looking Doom mod. Like wow, this is fucking gorgeous. And your experimentation with geometry and everything, we can get into that too uh, as we go. But I really want to get into kind of your story writing because you've you know made a lot of kind of narrative driven stuff, and then when you transition to the FPS genre, you know there's the infamous like Carmack quote about how the story is like a porno and all this kind of shit. But you've you've done a great job of kind of like really storytelling through atmosphere, I should say, and you've put so much of the Lovecraft mythos in there that it's hard to ignore that there is a narrative here. So can you get into that a bit? So yeah, I, I used to do a lot of narrative stuff. Um, the only thing that was planned out from the beginning that I've finished that was a full narrative was my was my webcomic that I made like two years mm-hmm. ago. But um, for Shrine and Shrine 2, it, I, I know, because I'm the type of person that when I sit down and play a game, and it's like an FPS game, most people, like when you are about to play an old school shooter, you're like, you're, you already know what you're kind of getting into and what you want out of the experience. And I know people probably don't want to read text and listen to voice acting and stuff. So I was like, okay, most shit needs to be environmental atmosphere, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had like, 
I had the like links of what happens in the story and what's going on. Most of it's environmental, so ninety percent of people have no idea what's going on and trying to, which I think is okay because the point of the game is to shoot cool demons and see cool places and stuff like that. But mm. as for narrative, I don't know. I just like I randomly think, oh, that'd be cool, so I put it in. Did you? In- is it intentional that the character's name is Moji Crocker? Or is that from a Via Doom or something like that? Moji Crocker? Am I crazy? What's the character? Like, so when you open up the, uh, I know what it is. I think I just realized what happened. So I've been so confused this whole time, right? I booted up GZ Doom, right, to play Shrine 2. And the character's name in my username, right, was Moji Crocker. <laughs> but that's from Via Doom. That's literally because I played Via Doom and set it up that way. And I was like, why is this the name of the character? It's so weird. <laughs> he's, he's from the same universe. He got skin turned into a tusk man. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. I'm not, I'm not cutting that. It's, it's too good. But It's beautiful. So, what's That's the name now. <laughs> is it just Shrine Guy? His name is, his name is Tusk. His, his name, that was his wow. nickname at first, but Tusk, not that original, but... It's because he's got, you know, he's got his little yeah. tusk. Oh, That's so fucking dumb. <laughs> Moji Cracker. Slay Eldritch. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Uh, Mo- Moji Crocker was like a famous soldier in the Vietnam War. Oh, I didn't know that. I had, I was, I was like, man, this guy's some big brain shit going on. I'll ignore that. <laughs> to- now I remember where it came from. <laughs> he got reincarnated into the shrine world. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, back back to the the narrative stuff. Uh, throughout throughout the game, you kind of, especially the, the first one, it's it's pretty pretty straightforward, and you have all these like beautiful like set pieces and settings that kind of like show you evolve through time, and eventually end up in the level called the womb, and that's disgusting, totally gross, man. I like the the little polyps and everything. <laughs> why? Why? That's the question. Why the why make things so horribly gross? Yes, it's grotesque. It's just, know, it's it's cool. It's a really interesting uh, set piece, especially as you go through it and you come out of their butthole through doorways, <laughs> exit out of a big ass mouth. Where did where did that fucking come from? Like, why why did you decide to use that as a set piece? Because like, I was originally thinking like, oh, this is like a, I'm, I'm thinking like a. Uh, Dexter's Laboratory or like Jimmy Neutron episode where they go inside of Carl's body and have to (laughs) it's like a classic cartoon trope but the way you implemented it was so much more you know dark well Shrine 2 had a lot more of like a plan and a story at the beginning but I had to like decrease scope so that was supposed to be like a fallen god type thing that you just happened to spawn in but oh okay I also just really like gross shit, and I like stuff that is just organic and horrible and just yucky and body horror. Yeah, yeah that type of shit. I, I just mm. love that. So I wanted to make a level that was oh, you're crawling around in skin and 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 friggin' weird, gross liquid and bile. Yes, <laughs> I love that shit. Did your mom play it? I hope not. Because, <laughs> uh, well, Shrine 1 isn't that 
bad, but there's like how, have you you've been trying to? Yes. Yeah, there's a there's some boobies and butts and PP structures in that, and I don't know if my mom should be seeing that personally. It, it's well hidden. It's like a it's like a the Little Mermaid where it's like eh, we'll let that slide. No, it's we'll just <laughs> the sensors, but it just bleeds together. See when you when you wrapped up that project, you you. you now you're in the game. You're you're part of the Doom modding scene, as far as anyone's concerned. They're like, well, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> and so you get your criticisms. You come back full force with trying to with a new programmer, and you say you you laid it out a lot better this time. So what were the things that you like the notes that you took? You're like, this is what I want to do. The things that that stood the same throughout the entire development was okay, thirty maps, and each is a really cool, different. I, I wanted it to be some Nintendo-ass shit where you go into the next level and the colors have swapped and it looks completely different. Right, right. And it's not... So, yeah, mainly mainly that, just the levels and, the, and their, what they were going to be, their, their general theme, that mm-hmm. stayed the same the whole time. Weapons, there was initially only going to be five weapons, but as we went along, it's like, oh god, five weapons for 30 levels, that will suck. So we just kept adding more and more and it it felt really good to be constantly receiving new shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I wanted to get all of the pieces of the of the chessboard out right away. So the first thing I made was was some weapons, and then I made every enemy and planned out the levels what I wanted them to be. And th- those were like the main things that I stuck with. Everything else was sort of made up and elaborated as we went along because it's it's good to have freedom. And not railroad yourself too much because then, then you it can get bad. And also, it's not that fun to work on when you're not being creative as you go. So yeah, it's a thing important actually. Now, now that I know that you didn't didn't come from like a wide array of uh, mods and backgrounds for Doom, it the game really, especially especially Shrine Two, more so than Shrine One totally separates uh, itself from kind of the way that Doom typically works and that, you, you know, you use levels as just like, all right, we're just going to go through here and be done with it. Or it, there are some common tropes, like, you know, obviously there's the, you know, picking up keys to open doors and everything, but, and the way that the enemies work. But it doesn't, like, hold itself to that I have to make a Doom game standard. It really stands on its own one of the things that always like kept fucking me up as i played through it was that there you have these power-ups and shit that i'm just like i had no fucking concept i kept forgetting i even had them and then i'd be like in this boss fight i'm like what the fuck why can't i oh yeah that's right i I just hit the i I mapped them all to like z x y or whatever (laughs) i was like oh yeah i'll just punch one of these i didn't even think about which one it was going to be and i'm like okay i got this under control now (laughs) (laughs) yeah um one I have always seen the Doom stuff as more of a tool to make my own games instead of making mods for Doom. Like, I'm not a big fan of gameplay mods for Doom because I've I've played through Doom one and two already, and I, and I I've gotten that experience of that game. I want to use the engine to make new experiences. I guess I think there's a strong future in that that since since you no longer require an iWOD to make a game in GZ Doom. Yeah, you you can you know basically just use it as an engine, and a lot of people are picking up on that. That one of the big projects was head-on uh, Zan's game, 
And then we have Sergeant Mark working on uh, Brutal Fate now. And, I mean, his pushing of the engine has always been fucking mind-blowing to me. People so. will rag on him all they want, but he is he knows his shit. He oh, knows yeah. the engine better than anybody, man. Yeah. That guy is- genius is a madman, dude. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like, as, as Brutal Fate comes to i think there's going to be a larger and larger market for using the the gz doom engine as a you know a viable engine to publish your own game and sell it for money which is good yes in my opinion like some people get fucking their panties in a wad about that but fuck (laughs) i i never understood that like it it took it takes like five thousand hours to make something and they want ten dollars it's it's not a big deal yeah it's not even that I think, period, there, there should be no argument against, like, developers should make money for making games. It, you have to fucking eat, and you're providing a service that people deeply need in these times of sorrow and hardship. They want entertainment. They want to escape. You sell it to them. They should make that transaction. That's not an argument to me. Uh, the the people that have an issue with you taking something that is, quote, like, open source and then making money off of it is, like, ridiculous, like, it really irritates the shit out of me. I understand their argument. It's like, oh, well, Doom mods have always traditionally been free, blah, blah, blah. But, like, you're not, first of all, you're not really making a Doom mod. You're making a game which just built on that engine. Nobody would get irritated. If you, if you made it in fucking Unreal, nobody would yeah. be irritated. If you made it in Unity, nobody would be irritated. But for whatever reason, we had that kind of stigma around the Doom engine, and I really want to get away from that because it's an excellent tool. I think as more and more people put their stuff out there, like Heaton, because that was like one of the main inspirations was why I started. Because I, I went into the engine like thinking, oh, I could put this on Steam because, I don't know, that's really important for me is, is, is getting it out there to a lot of people because I just, from when I was working on RPG Maker, I was stuck in the RPG Maker world and I never mm-hmm. really broke out of that. And I just, I don't want to be trapped in one little area or or if i am trapped i want to be trapped in a big one because the fps yeah. community is huge and everyone wants more because it's fun and i want to make fun things for people it's definitely a booming time for boomer shooters like uh, it's kind of the it's in vogue more and more now we have like several companies that are like totally just all in on it that new new blood seems like they want to break away about i don't know if they can <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna make an MSM now. It's still an FPS. It's still an old school FPS. That's all I'm saying with Gloomwood. But <laughs> it it is a and it's, it's such a cool thing to see the community grow and grow and grow. And we get you know, you're the lifeblood of this. You know, like young hungry developers coming out, like <laughs> making shit like what you do is it's gonna be so important. Thank you. I'm ho- I'm hoping like like more and more little like you know indie studios keep popping up and then i hope you guys all get a million dollars someday (laughs) (laughs) i hope man i can't be in mcdonald's dollar menu forever so but yeah it's it is it's really dope especially since i can put my shit on steam it's it's been so freaking amazing and the the community even the doom modding community like some of the nicest people i have ever met in my whole life they're just such great like really sweet people. And, Who you uh, been chatting with, if I can ask? Um, 
Uh, are you familiar with the mod Combined Arms or Jamoda going medieval on their asses? I'm not sure. I don't think so. Um, Can't get a lot of that, man. There's a lot of holes in there. There's, there, there's, there's so many mods out there, and I have played 1% of them. But Batandi, Combine Keegan, Skellion. There's, I can name a million, but those I, I talk to those people a lot who are in the modding community mm-hmm. who create stuff. But yeah, they're just, they're awesome and they're great and kind and they help me out all the time. And it's just a very welcoming place to be in. I don't know if this is a tangent or not. I'm kind of rambling. Sorry. Uh, so it's the whole point of the podcast is that we can <laughs> talk about long form discussion all we want. And if people don't like it, they can just skip forward or not listen to it. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll clean it up. I'll make it sound like we're both geniuses when I edit it. Don't worry about that. First of all, before I move on, fuck you for the river sticks. That level is bullshit. We're fixing. I, no, I, I really like it, but like, wow. I I sat there for so long just like – because I, I had about like 27 health or some shit when I started that level. God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and – and I thought it was cool. It's like I figured out eventually. Like I think I found it on YouTube or whatever. Like, oh, I'm supposed to shoot the ground. It never even occurred to me. Like, shoot the fucking shit and freeze it. Like, why <laughs> would that not be the first thing I thought of? It's got all the ammo is sitting right there. It's so writ large, and yet I'm so dumb. And then I'm like, okay, cool. I figured that out. And then I get around the corner, and then I'm getting blasted, and I have no health. So eventually, I figured out when you had the the fast fire version of the ice gun on, I could just like fucking shoot it at the ground and sprint yeah. forward. <laughs> Or um, since I'm, I'll take the L on that one. That's totally my bad. That level sucks ass. I like the I like the level. I just hate. Good idea. It's just really long and shitty. So I want to make something that doesn't play like ass, but still uses that um shooting ice at the water as the motif of the level. It's just Uh you're going in a straight line around corners, and it's bad. So we're we're working on that. We're we're we've we're picking like a few levels that we're like, okay, this could be better, this could be this better, and tweaking them. That one in particular, we're we're starting from scratch because I I know I could do a lot better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I apologize for that nightmare. <laughs> so the uh, the the really tall, skinny white monster that you know shoots projectiles all the way around and plays crazy sounds. I detect within that sound the the song from Rainbow Bungie. Am I crazy? I I don't know what Rainbow so, Bungie is. Okay, I'm I'm gonna yeah, send that to. We'll take our time here, and I'll I'll have to cut it if I need to. But you need to be aware of this. It's this old school, like back in the day YouTube meme that really annoyed the shit out of me. When I was probably about 14 or 15. Confirm to me when you hear this that you can, in fact, hear my uh, sounds. I can hear that. I recognize this. Now I'm going to send see. you, I'm gonna send you the, vi- the image so that you can see what has been torturing me for all this time. Just, just look at that little guy. Tell me he's not the cutest thing. Oh my god. This I was on a ten-hour loop. This was a ten-hour loop that <laughs> that would just—it's just like, okay, bro, we're all fucking drunk now. I'm putting this on. Try not to laugh, and like, it's a stupid meme. 
but I heard that sound in there, and I was just like, oh, fuck me. That, right. that sound's not in there. I think you're hearing a number station that sounds a lot like this, but it's not it. But holy crap, I remember this. That, Jesus. What year is this? I'm I'm actually happy knowing it's not that in the game, but like I heard that and I was just like, this is torture. This is psychological torture, especially oh the first God. time you interact with that monster when it's in the fog and you can't really see it. And and then I spent like forever after I killed it, like looking for the key in the fog, and it was just like that song was haunting me the whole time. I was like, no, 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 no. Oh God. Yeah. So I, the the sound is actually making is a is a. A number station. I can't. I think it's Swedish Rhapsody, the number station, but it was just a creepy sound, and I, I'm sorry to bring back a nightmare. But <laughs> well, I'll have to put the YouTube link to that, and like for all the confused people listening in the in the show notes. But yeah. all right, yeah. <laughs> Thank, thanks a lot, jerk. <laughs> and uh, go ahead. Uh, I just said you're welcome. Oh well, yeah. Okay. So why why can't I get the uh, the fucking puzzle and Soulscape to work? I don't get it. I'm so confused. <sighs> I, the code for that game is from 2016. So yeah. And and I play tested it. I was the only one who played this, so I had it in my brain. Is oh, it must work because every time I try it, it works. But it wouldn't shock me if it was just shit broke. Okay. But I have no idea, and I, I feel bad because I should have gone through and checked that. But when I re-released it on Steam, I just gave it a graphical update and didn't do much else. But oops, <laughs> my bad. I'll uh, I'll probably replay through it soon and. Maybe do some bug fixes if I can. If it's if it's completely broken and it's not just like something you're missing, it's okay. I just got so invested, man. I was just like, oh, like I love this little game. I'm gonna bust it out in like two hours, and then I'll be ready to talk about RPG shit tomorrow. But I apologize for my broken ass game from when I was 15 years old. <laughs> it's fine. There's nothing to apologize about except for. You know, I just had my heart broken a little bit. <laughs> if you get it squared away, let me know. But I wanted to dig into a f- couple of the other projects. Um, you, you have a new game that you're going to be working on, if I understand correctly. Can What can you say about it at this point? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm working on... Are you familiar with Metroid Prime? Mm-hmm. We haven't had a Metroid Prime game in, in forever, and we have no idea when the fourth one's coming out. And... I can't think of any other first-person Metroidvanias, so I was like, I'll just make my own. And so I am taking the paintings of Shinsky and applying them to this world that I'm making, and I'm making a little FPS Metroidvania, and I'd like to do a Kickstarter for it because I want to pay my coder and I want to get really good music for it, but it's not that far into it now. I'm working on like the second area, and there's some b-roll footage i have on like twitter and youtube but other than that it, it's early stages but it's going really good vomitorium is the name yeah, the yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. okay i, I think uh, it's it's weird how the the retro shooter genre has kind of like started to progress a little bit you know we had that kind of era where it was all like doom and quake 
and we're starting to just now really see the beginnings of like with Ultra Kill and Effigy, something a little more um, complex. We're moving into like the PS One era, I guess. Again, yeah. And I think that now that the nostalgia is waning a little bit, people are like, okay, I like this genre, but we need something new. And developers are like, I like this genre. Here's my twist. Bah, 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 bah. You know what I mean? The, the first person Metroidvania, it's a, it's a good, I think it's a good concept. You see that a little bit in the Effigy demo. I think the finished game will have a lot more like revisiting areas and like, kind of cycling through parts. And then there's some of that in Wrath. I don't want to like really compare Wrath to like a Metroidvania, but it does have that kind of like going back through areas and hub maps and uh, just revisiting and then finding items and taking them back and opening up new areas. I, I believe that is going to be a pretty significant part of the game at some point. So that's cool, dude. And so this is all going to be the Bekinski aesthetic as well? Yeah, it's a lot of Bekinski. I'm using that as a base to sort of spread my own tendrils from. So, yeah, there's a lot of Bekinski influence, but it's still mostly my ideas. It's just I'm taking heavy inspiration. So I've always wanted to see those paintings, like, adapted into a game on more than just, like, one little thing. It's like, oh, there's so much potential here with those paintings to create a whole world and universe around them because they're just so rich with the detail. So I was like, yeah, I kind of want to try that out. I think that'd be cool. I think Scorn Thanks, may still come out, but like that was the Giger. Like this game is based on the paintings of Giger and all that kind of shit. So I, I like seeing that kind of stuff. It's not only an homage, but like in your case, it's like here's something new that a lot of people aren't going to be as familiar with as HR Giger. So yeah, Bikshinsky is the underdog under uh, Giger. Yeah, I would say he's got there's like the he's got this arid hellscape where Giger's like this wet, disgusting. <laughs> Type thing. Even though so, I just I learned know. about Bikshinsky like, you know, an hour ago or however long we've been talking. I'm a fan now and I like this. It, <laughs> it reminds me of like um what's that band called? Neurosis? You're familiar with the, a band called Neurosis? I am musically in it. Oh, yeah. I I even, have no idea about most music. I'll send I'll send you some links. They're, these are like really heavy metal bands, but like this come this is like right out of one of their album covers. Really cool. What kind of? You said you want to get good music. What are you looking at? What are you thinking? Um. Well, filmmaker. I don't know if you played the original Wad for. Did you play Shrine One on Steam or did you? Sh- I played it on Steam. Okay, so Shrine's original soundtrack used music from a guy called Filmmaker, and it it fit the game so much better than what it was now. Because right now, Shrine One is just using mostly royalty free Dark Agents, and it's like. I know a guy. It's lame, but... I know a guy. <laughs> Ooh, I might actually need you to send me to him because I could always use more Dark Ambient shit, but... Um, Shout out to a morpher. <laughs> I'll have to check him out. Yeah, Filmmaker is um, just this really good, like, dark synthwave type musician, and uh, I used his music in Shrine 1, and then when I switched over to Steam... Uh, I did my own soundtrack because I, I couldn't find a way to contact him. But recently I did get a hold of him and we've started talking about um, potential of, of working with, with his music and me commissioning him to create the soundtrack because his guttural evil sounding music would fit the atmosphere of the game so perfectly. So, yeah. 
That's who I want. Nope. Filmmaker, let me buy your music. Maybe you will. We'll Maybe. See. I hope so. Love that guy. So with the uh, the Shrine 2 soundtrack, what, what was the, the story with that? So I actually managed to commission a few different music- musicians for the soundtrack, but... Um, so the, the the first half of Shrine Two is is all is all commissioned music. So that's all original music by Sync. Sync is the artist for that. And then uh, Primeval made the boss music for the first three bosses. Everything uh, from Heaven and Beyond is all um, either stuff Mango's made or royalty free stuff. And then some of the stuff for the initial release of the mod we. We were using like placeholder music of like game music that already exists, but this is like, hey, this is the kind of music we want because Primeval is not quite finished with the soundtrack yet, and uh, I ran out of cash for commissioning music, so I couldn't really get any more, which is totally chill. That's perfectly fine with me. So the rest of the game will probably be Mango's own tunes and um, royalty free shit, and then Primeval will help finish up the boss soundtrack, but yeah. Dope. That's a long-winded summary. Sorry that I wanted so much detail about that. Don't stop apologizing. I'm gonna fucking come over there. I can't help it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really close. I was born in Minnesota. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, Minnesota. Eh? Um, baby <laughs> Canada. You're fine. Go over to Fargo. There. Throw you in the wood chipper <laughs> if you don't behave. Um, it's really dope. I really love all of it, man. Thank you so much. Last kind of thing, and then I'll let you go back to your life. Um, okay. Or what you call a life. And <laughs> I, I want to get into some, some of the Lovecraft stuff that you really seem to have like truly embraced uh, moving into Shrine 2. And your your narrative spin on it is really fucking cool. I, I love the boss fights. I really love the Azathoth boss fight at the end because of the... It's going to... Shit. Now I'm going to have to break into a whole new tangent. I love the impossible geometry. Uh, I know it's not like a new trick, but it's such a good trick, you know, when you can just keep running in different directions and, like, re-arrive at the same place. Um, or were you an MC Escher fan at all? Or where does that come from? Honestly, the... the- as I saw the boss fight was almost entirely Mango. I just did the art for it. So, so that one room where it's infinite, that's all Mango's really cool tricks. So you, you're going to have to kiss Mango for that one because I have no idea how he did that. But I do love like non-Euclidean shit and mm-hmm. weird, fucked up stuff. It's just, um, yeah, Mango did that. He's a genius mastermind of that stuff. And Yeah. I'm there's, confused how I did it. <laughs> no, there's a few other places in the game where it's like, oh, that could not occur in, in any way. like Or even like the, the levels where you just had to like platform. By the way, some of the best goddamn platforming ever in the Doom engine, I think. Like, wow. Seriously, really, really good. Like, I, I was kind of blown away because I always, every time I see a platforming section in a Doom game, I'm like, fuck. Um, <laughs> ja- Jazz Jackrabbit also did a pretty good job. That, that guy is going to be on the podcast eventually, but like, Ooh. really solid dude. I love that shit. I haven't had a chance to meet him, but I would like to because his project is really dope. And he was like one of the first people to ever follow me on Twitter. Like when yeah. I was I hadn't even finished Shrine, so I was like, yeah, cool guy. 
don't misquote me on this, but I, I feel like he told me he was like in the middle of building a house, like, or he's like working on some kind of housing project where he's like building a bunch of houses to earn his house. I don't know what the deal is, but he's like really busy with that at the moment. But whenever he's back in the swing of the, you know, making games and shit, I'll probably have him on the podcast. Awesome. I'll have to listen to that, man. That sounds cool. Cool. Uh, any closing thoughts, shout outs, people you want to tell to fuck off. This is your moment. <laughs> um, follow mango. Let's give that guy all the love you can. He is, brought Shrine 2 so much further than it ever could. Um, check me out. You're going to have a Kickstarter for Vomitorium sometime. Not sure when, but soon-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just interact with people in the Doom community. They're all so sweet and cool, and they're all great. And uh, Disclosure yeah. agreement. Do not uh, interact with everyone, but most of them are cool. <laughs> Hit them up, yo. Bother them. Annoy them. <laughs> thank you so much man uh really looking forward to your 21st birthday when i can drive up there to phoenix and buy you a beer <laughs> awesome um, man i'll do that yeah i will I, if i'm still in the area i could move anytime you never know <laughs> but really really appreciate your time uh super impressed with your resume so far i can't wait to see you grow uh next time you're ready to talk at all it doesn't even have to be for a new project you're welcome back on the show anytime dude Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, man. This was a blast. And I'm glad you let me talk about my stupid stuff. Shrine 2 will be featured at Realms Deep 2020. It's going to be fucking awesome. You should definitely be there September 5th and 6th on 3D Realms. Official Twitch channel. Blah, blah, blah. It's great. Go to their website. I'll have it in the uh, show notes for you to check out all of the cool people who will be at the event. Obviously, we're going to be doing a bunch of podcasts for it. You can see the guest list there. It's going to be badass. Thank you again to Scumhead for being a guest here on the show. Also, big thank you to Mango for helping him make Shrine 2. It's fucking great. I'm really looking forward to Vomitorium. Go ahead and follow these guys both on Twitter to keep up to date and see what they're hinting at and all that good shit. It's going to be really fun to watch them grow as developers and grow as a team and hopefully go on to do bigger and better things. But right now, let's just enjoy the ride, guys. Thank you to everybody who supports us. We love you. Not going to shout them all out this time because the music is about to end and I'm watching it happen. Oh, God. Ah. But seriously, till next time, stay in the keep. <laughs>